Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Decibel Podcast. Chris Sinzak here. It's my favorite time of year here at the Decibel Geek Podcast. It's finally here. It's time for Kicksmiths in July. My name is Aaron Camaro. Joined as always by my oh-so-festive friend, Chris Sinzak. Season's greetings? Kicksmiths in July. Okay, that'll work. Okay, well, it's going to have to work because that's what we're doing today. <laughs> yeah, things are a little out of order right now because there's a lot going on behind the scenes, but uh, we couldn't wait to get this one out because, uh, you know, we were excited to do it. And also, you know, Brian Forsyth from Kicks is an upcoming guest at the Nashville Rock and Pod Expo. And, you know, as a good promoter does, you have to, if you have lead time, you use that lead time to promote the uh, the event that that person's involved in. So we kind of like push this to the front, you know. Right. Kissmas in July will return next week. Yes, and we're probably going to give you guys an extra one yes. going into the month of August, perhaps. We'll <laughs> see. Your other way. We'll figure out a way to make it up to you, I'm sure, before the end of the year, one way or another. Yes. You think we're being naughty, but we're being nice. <laughs> Yes, you're going to find out how nice we can be today because this is going to be a lot of fun. We're sitting down with Brian Damage, Forsyth, and he is such a cool dude. Mm-hmm. You're going to love this conversation we have with him today. And don't forget, like Chris said, he is a featured guest at the Rockin' Pot Expo number 3 coming up on August 9th and 10th here in Nashville, Tennessee. So excited to have him on. I've We've both been fans of Kicks since the 80s. And yeah. um, when I found out he had moved here a few months ago, I got on it real fast and said, hey, can you can you be part of this? And he was happy to, to oblige and uh, excited to have him. And also he'll be uh, jumping up on the stage with the Rock and Roll Residency guys the night before at the pre-party. So, That's so cool. you will get to see him perform during that weekend if you come. And I wonder what they're going to play with him. I don't know. Isn't that the beauty of it? Though? You never know. Yeah. It's always a surprise. So I guess you want to take care of the business and then we talk. Talk a little bit about Rock and Pot yeah. 3 and, and then get right into it with Brian. This yeah. is going to be cool. iTunes review. Got one right here. It's entitled Top Tier Metal Podcast. It's five stars just the way we like it. Comes to us from Redbeard 1970 from right here in the good old United States of America. Goes a little something like this. With all these podcasts out there on the internet, this one rises to the top. Well-informed insights from true metal fans. Keep the show coming. Short, sweet, to the point, just like that. Redbeard1970 took the time to leave us an iTunes review. Five stars. Awesome. Thanks, man. Very cool. 
That's it. That's it for this week. Oh boy. Okay. Yeah, go go to iTunes, go to Podchaser, and please go to Facebook and leave a recommendation if you can. That's okay. We can cut down the time today and get, yeah. get to the Hey, what is that sound? What is that? Oh, it's it's the phone. We're getting a call? Well, I guess uh I know there's only a certain amount of people that have this number, so I guess let's answer the emergency decibel geek phone. Hello? 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 Who's that? Is that how you address royalty? Oh, this no. Is, this is the podcast kings calling in. Oh, no. It's the podcast kings, Ralph and Ian. That's right. In that order, Ralph and Ian. I thought, oh, shit. We'd be better <laughs> I guess off. that makes me the queen. I thought it was a Nigerian prince. Uh, formerly known as Nigerian Prince. Uh, okay. Hey, he says assemble now. The All right. Okay. What do you guys want? We're trying to do the show here. Uh, we want your listeners to start donating some fucking money. <laughs> <laughs> You're not the only ones. We're, uh, we're, we're trying to help out the expo. And uh, so far we're off to a good start. But we need help from the Decibel Geek listeners, man. Where are y'all at? Where are they? Where are our people? Ralph yeah. and Ian are making us look foolish. Yeah, they are. Again. Third year in a row. I'm the guy who organizes the damn thing. You'd think we should, we'd be able to get more donations. I mean, it, it, it's so sad that my, my little side Bobo podcast uh, has got two, two donations as well. What's up with that? I don't know. These guys are killing us again. We can't let this happen. We can't. We can't let this happen again. Look, they embarrassed us in year one. They embarrassed <laughs> us in year two. They handily defeated us in the podcasting Kings tournament, and now this again. Well, well, Aaron, um, I, I gotta say this. You know, Ian doesn't know I'm gonna say this, but um, I have I have a lot of um, faith that your listeners this year is gonna outdo us. So let's see if they prove me wrong or right. It's up to you, Decibel Geek listeners. Are you going to make me look bad, too? Because I'm saying you guys are going to raise more than us this year. Wow. Prove me right. Rolf and Ian, they're right. They're 100% right. These guys every year have just killed it on donations to people that want to help out the Rock and Pod Expo. The listeners of the Rock and Metal Combat podcast, they come through for their guys. They come through for them every single time that Rolf and Ian have needed them. They're there for them. And we have the greatest bots on the internet. That's true. And bots they have deep with pockets. Wallets. Yeah. <laughs> you even have Voltron. I'm impressed. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> I know you have such a loyal following, such a great audience. You're, you're a legendary podcast. Uh, where, where are all your listeners? I mean, I know your listeners spend a lot of money, you know, on, you know, concert tickets to see the circle, but what's that? Five bucks. Oh, you know, jeez. <laughs> well, that you know, up. considering Van Hagar sold less than Van Halen, um, the same goes for their fans. Yeah. Wow. Well, that may be what's. <laughs> Does that mean on we're here. the Van Hagar of podcast. We don't, don't want to be the. Van- no, no, your your fans are. We do not want to be known as the Van Hagar's of podcasting, and we sure don't want our listeners to be known as the Van Hagar's of podcast supporters. So please, people, the time is now. Don't let us down. We are the Decibel Geek Podcast, and we need you. Chris, tell them where they can make their donations. So there's a link on the Facebook page for go, or just go to GoFundMe and look up Rock and Pod Expo 3, 
and I'll put this in the show notes. I'll I'll keep plastering it out everywhere because I know you guys have seen it. But basically, in like we even cut the cost in half of co-hosting a show with us this time. Yeah, we did. Pay fifty bucks, and you get you can wow. be on the show. That's all you got to do, and then just pay fifty bucks. Put Decibel Geek Podcast in the comment section because there's not nearly enough of you that have done that. Instead, it's like Rock and Metal Combat, Rock and Metal Combat, Rock and Metal Combat. <laughs> Sammy Hagar sucks. Rock and Metal Combat. And how are we supposed to feel when we see this? It's breaking our hearts. You know what I think it is? I, I think your audience is just confused. I think they think if they donate, they come on our show, and that's why they haven't donated. Let them know they get to come on Decibel Geek, the great Decibel Geek show. I need some good news out of the Decibel Geek fans because I got dealt a devastating blow this week from my favorite Decibel Geek listener of all time. Really? Mooger Fooger? I love me some Mooger Fooger, but Rockin' Ron Runyon. That is my man. That is my man. Unfortunately, I found out he's not going to be there this year at the Expo because the venue we're at this year is within 500 feet of an elementary school. So for legal reasons, uh, Rock and Ron is not allowed to attend. But you know what? That doesn't mean he can't donate. And, uh, hey, he's been on our show, but fucking hey, he should be on Decibel Geek. And now it's more affordable than ever. So come on, Decibel Geek listeners. Show some fucking support, uh, you know, for your show, for what all these guys do for you and what – We've been building with the Rock and Pod Expos. I mean, it gets bigger and bigger every year. And Chris and Aaron go above and beyond to pull this off. And the shit ain't free. The shit ain't free. And just a little bit, you know, even if you can't donate enough, you know, to be a guest on your respective podcast, uh, a little bit here could mean a lot to what we're trying to build. And, you know, both of our shows, we, we do all this for the love of it. And here's a way you can pay us back. Yeah. And you don't, you know, as I mentioned, $50 to co-host an episode with us. If, but if you can't do $50, if you can do $5, $10, whatever, just donate it and put our, our show name in the comment section. It's easy as that. And if you hate Ian and Ralph, like I know a lot of you do, make sure yeah. that you make sure that you donate so you can shove it in their face. That's right. So That's we can right. all shove it in their faces. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. I. I think I think we're gonna do a we're gonna do a throwdown here, uh, you know, because because uh, Aaron and myself, you know, we're the Garfunkels of our respected shows, uh, so so you, you know we're gonna be the ones that got to do that. something here. That means I'm Paul Simon. I don't know that that's any oh, better. <laughs> well, yeah, you, you know, you're a little guy, um, but but how about this? If uh, rock and metal combat raises more money. Then Aaron has to wear my Vinnie Vincent dress from last year. Oh boy! At this year's oh, man, you guys better fucking donate. Yeah, no kidding, because Ian's been wearing this thing since Rock and Pot Expo last <laughs> yeah. year. He won't. Yeah, take it off. and hasn't washed it. Yeah, and I can fill it out. I don't know. You're a little thin. It might just drape on you. <laughs> but uh, but but then you know, when Decibel Geek wins, which they're more than capable of doing, you guys got the numbers. It's true. I'll tell you what. I'll wear one of those damn Brett Michaels bandanas that Camaro so fond of. <laughs> Either way, we'll both be dressed as women. So I, I'm just happy donate. I don't have to wear anything. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody even knows what you look like, Chris. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> you don't have to worry about it. But please donate. Give give to this great show that you're listening to and uh, help these guys out, man, because they do a lot for you. And uh, this expo is an amazing event for fans to not only get to see their favorite podcast, but to meet great rock stars, uh, to pick up all kinds of memorabilia, great records. There's concerts. I mean, this is a fucking event. And uh, every little bit helps, helps for promotion and, and securing all the stuff that goes on behind the scenes. And I, I know our show, we appreciate our, our donations. 
let's see some donations from Decibel Geek. Yeah, let's do it. So, That's uh, right, because you know, even if you can't attend, which some people can't, maybe it's too far away, maybe you got something going on that weekend, but you love rock podcasting, you love what we do, you love what Ralph and Ian does, you know, just support us, just help us out with this, because maybe you can come next year. But maybe next year there might not be a Rock and Pod Expo because, you know, it just costs too much and we couldn't make it happen. A donation this year is a step towards a secure tomorrow. That's right. More Rock and Pods in the future. Make Hell it happen. Yeah, that's right. And next year, we, you know, we, we can save up enough money to get one that's not by a school and Rock and Ron can come back. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's my point yeah. exactly. You guys, I'm so Donate glad you Ron. called. You put things in perspective for us in a way that nobody else could. And, Said and no I, one ever. I, I, want, I want Ron to donate because it'd be great to hear him on Decibel Geek all coked out of his head like he was with us. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> it, it was Jack and Coke. Jack and Coke. Oh, well, yeah. he, was, he was snorting Jack and Coke. I know he was yeah. snorting, snorting something when he was on our show. <laughs> wow. That was a very uh, memorable episode for everyone but Ron. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Featuring Wildside, who will be there this year? Yeah, I, I yeah. booked two guys from Wildside, and Ron's not coming. What the hell? It's not right. I know. What's up? What's up with that? I, I think he's embarrassed after, after that episode. He can't face him. <laughs> embarrassed to be around elementary school. That's what he's probably. Oh man. Well, aside from Rock and Ron's transgressions, thank you guys for calling in. <laughs> Oh, uh, thank you so much, and we can't wait to see you here in a short time. We'll be in Nashville hanging out with you, and we cannot wait. So thank you to everybody who has donated, and thank you to everybody who will donate. I know Decibel Geek listeners are going to step up now because we just called your ass out. Yeah, they did. All right. Thanks, yeah. guys. We'll talk to you and soon. It's always a blast. Everybody, go to the Rock and Pod Expo this year. Uh, the last two years were a blast, and this one's going to be bigger than ever, so go! Could even crash a birthday party, possibly. Possibly. Ooh, yeah, right. Like, that won't be canceled. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, we'll talk to you later. Bye. Bye. Ciao. All right, I'm glad those guys called. Yeah, they're, me too. You know they're absolutely right. Yeah, they are. Step it up, guys. Make a donation. The link's going to be all over the place. That's right, and we're going to keep bringing you these episodes for free. Maybe you could help us out a little bit. Huh? Yeah. Just a little bit. Help huh? us out. Yeah. Uh, back to the show. over what album we should do and and then we decided we're going to put it to a fan vote and just see what see what the, the fans want to ha- have and so I posted in our group I posted in a couple of Kicks fan groups a lot of great interaction on those Kicks fan groups like mm-hmm. the, you have a very loyal following uh, yeah I mean, it, it's, it's, it's some great fans and um, I posted the poll and Midnight Dynamite won out does that surprise you? um I don't know. I, I, I was watching it, and, yeah. and there was a couple of times where it looked like uh, Blow My Fuse was yeah. leading. But yeah. no, it doesn't surprise me. I think Blow My Fuse and Midnight Dynamite usually end up being like the favorites. Right. Yeah. yeah. And uh, yeah, it barely nudged out Blow My Fuse. And <clears throat> after we announced that that was the winner, I, I asked for some questions, and a number of uh, the fans on those pages were kind enough to send me some questions to run by you. and Because cool. there's no better place to go than the diehards to get... It's like find right. out what they want to yeah. what they want to know. So with Midnight Dynamite, um, 
basically, well, one thing I couldn't find was where was this album recorded at? New York. In New York. New York City. What studio? Uh, Atlantic Studios. Same place we did the first record. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Which I, I don't think that studio exists anymore. It was on um, a Columbus Columbus Circle, like 60th Street. Uh-huh. And it was, uh, I mean, that, that studio had so much history. Right. I mean, Ray Charles recorded there, Aretha Franklin, like... Well, the Stones even recorded there, and then wow. that live, yeah. that ACDC live at Atlantic was mm-hmm. done in Studio yeah. A, where we did wow. both both records. Oh, cool! Right on, that's awesome. awesome. So, where does it begin? I mean, you guys, you've been together for a while now. At this point, you've got two albums under your belt. It seems like it's going in a good succession, a little bit more successful than the one before it. Mm-hmm. The album before this is Cool Kids, which is awesome. I love that album. But at what point after Cool Kids do you guys say, okay, it's time? to start thinking about the next one well it's funny because you know donnie was the main songwriter and there was it was never like uh like do one record and then tour and then start thinking about another record he was thinking all the time so Mm. there were songs on midnight dynamite that we had before we did cool kids oh wow i mean i can't remember which ones but (laughs) but they're songs that just they'd sort of sit around and we'd go, go back to them at some point and mess around with them a little bit more and and they eventually end up on a record but we back especially back then we always when we were off the road like any time off the road we were in the rehearsal studio working on new songs and demos and and then we'd actually go out and play them especially locally yeah um we'll test them out yeah so yeah. We, we you know most of the songs on the record we'd been playing live that that really makes a big difference because it's the last kicks record. It w- it was like you're saying, like, uh oh, we we need yeah. to make a record and and you scramble and put one together. And you know the songs are still new when you're recording them, right. but back then, you know, it it really it was really cool to play them live first because mm-hmm. you could tell where there's a problem spot during the song, and then we'd go back to the rehearsal on our time off and redo a part and that is pretty cool to be able to take them test them tweak them you know yeah catch the reaction on them that all too. that stuff yeah because sometimes you do it live and you find out oh man like it's not getting any reaction so right. that one will get stuck on the back burner <laughs> right maybe revisit this one again someday yeah some other way yeah. or change the tempo or something right. Yeah, and one thing I, I noticed was you know seemed like Donnie seemed like a rather pro- prolific writer. I mean, it's mm-hmm. like so was it always a, a thing where did you guys kind of lean on him for the writing, or was it just he was just coming to the table with a lot of great stuff? Both. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, it was hard to keep up. Yeah, and his stuff was so much better. You know, I'd I'd work on some idea for a song, and and then a couple t- uh, like very few times like not often <laughs> the band would actually work on one mm-hmm. and it would just be like eh, i don't know about this and then you know donnie's next day donnie would come in with something like blow my fuse or something and you go oh man yeah i got i would never have thought of that <laughs> right <laughs> and then you just forget about my song let's work on that one gotcha right on what was the climate in the band like at the time i mean was it was, was everybody still kind of all for one one for all at that point Oh, that's a good question. Uh, yeah, because you guys are on your—you're kind of on your way up. I mean, I got to figure as a band when when you're on your way down, that's when people usually have their problems after the peak. You know, but you guys are still kind of climbing. Well, I think yeah, I think that's what motivated us. We we knew that we were still going up, mm-hmm. yeah. and, and uh, you know, even if there were little 
problems here and there, you know, we, we tried to focus on the big picture. Right. But, um, I mean, we all have our own personal problems along the way too. And, you know, I, I don't know why I think about that record. It brings back some like scary memories for myself personally, but as far as like hard party in times, times, there was some of that. And there was also, I was getting out of a marriage at the time and uh, yeah, it was was a rough transition period. Plus it was, uh, it was at the end of a touring cycle, you know, going back into the studio by usually at those points, like finances are low, like mm-hmm. the, the the bank accounts drained, right. and, and I remember uh, the first we did that record in two halves. We did I can't remember the exact dates, but we went up there for a month or two and did the first part, and then we I think we went home for New Year's, and then we came back. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember the first half of that record being up in New York City, like broke. I had like. I had change. I'd count out pennies and go down to like the deli and buy like a chicken breast or something. Wow. And I remember dumping a bunch of pennies on the thing and the and the uh the the convenience store guy looking at me like disgusted. <laughs> like I was wow. some homeless guy or something <laughs> having to count out pennies. Wow. <laughs> but but you know, you those are, you know, times that you go through sometimes, you know, and yeah. You know, well, I, and, and I know this has nothing to do with the record, but like when those situations arise, like, you know, you guys just, you've put two records out, you've done two touring cycles, you've probably played some good sized shows at this point, mm-hmm. even, or, or at least as an opener or something, you know, you're kind of getting the taste of, of what your dream is, but then, you know, you have a day where you're counting out pennies to buy a chicken breast, like yeah. how mentally draining is that? And it, what is it that pulls you through those times? Is it just the expectation that this is going to turn into something? I guess so. Yeah. And, uh, I'm trying to think how I got through that. <laughs> uh, here's a funny one too. We, we were up at the studio one day and, um, I forget who was up there, but there were some other people hang, hanging around and, and, uh, we decided to go out to a Chinese restaurant and get something to eat. And, but it wasn't like a band situation where it was the band was paying for it or anything. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, uh-oh, <laughs> well, how am I going to pay for this? So I get there and, and uh, I think I bought some soup or something. And uh, at the end of the meal, they bring the fortune cookies. Mm-hmm. And so I, everyone grabs a fortune cookie. I break mine open and it's empty. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> it was like... <laughs> I wow. Back, that was so funny, though, now that I look back at wow. it. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, awkward. Wow. <laughs> but yeah, that, I mean, it's just, it's, that's got to be such a bizarre existence, though, because, you know, you'll play these shows, you got all these people screaming and going crazy, and then it's like, where's my money at? I mean, but like, it's mm. for a band that's at that level before things blow up, because like this album started kind of shooting you a little bit higher and getting right. you more recognition. But that's got to be, I mean, we're all the guys in the band just, we're just like, we're going to see this thing through no matter what. Yeah, I think yeah. so. Um, yeah, the way the band operated back then was we, um, you know, all the money from the shows went into to a, um, I don't know if it was a corporate corporate account, maybe it was, and and then we would get a paycheck mm-hmm. every week, which was like back then not too much, right? And I wasn't good at managing money, but but uh, but yeah, we I, I think the thing with that too, even though it was a low point. Mm-hmm. Like emotionally and all that stuff, I think it it adds. Like for me personally, um, sometimes it, it it adds to my playing. Yeah, mm. it it sort of you know the 
the feelings come through right. like extra. Well, it's therapeutic. Yeah. Yeah, it has to be. Yeah. Yeah, because that's basically your voice into the world your, holy, your, yeah. your guitar so yeah so yeah. you know even though it was it seemed like a dark time it was probably it probably helped right you know with my playing and the sound of yeah my solos and everything who did you guys tour with before going in to make this record well back then we used to just do like we never had like full tours it was more um like one-offs here and there maybe a couple shows and a lot of club dates in between yeah I mean, we we played nonstop. Um, I'm trying to think of who we you guys just traveling with. across the country in a van. We had a van and a 24 foot rider truck. Yeah, mm. and that's pretty much how we did it. <laughs> I mean, we didn't even start using tour buses till '88. Mm. Wow, yeah, that's a ways off from this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> very DIY time for you guys. <laughs> and I know there's a legend of uh, you guys basically just owning Hammerjacks back in in Baltimore at this time. Yeah. 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 So I've I've heard numerous stories. I mean, even back in the eighties, I, I don't. I think MTV would talk about it, or or it was in magazines, and there would be talk about this club Hammerjacks in in Baltimore. Describe a little bit about what was special about that place. Well, the the owner and the staff they were huge Kicks fans. So yeah. we met those guys like early on, like right after our our first record, mm-hmm. and we were. Um, we got a um, an opening slot for Judas Priest in, in uh, wow in Iron Maiden at the Baltimore Civic Center, nice. and I just remember looking out and just seeing the whole like all the the Hammerjacks crew out yeah. there, and this was like pre like before they built a big club, they had mm-hmm. this small little little it was almost like a a townhouse on the street. Mm-hmm. It was like a three story building, yeah. and they cut the center out so you could you know you could be up on the third floor and look down and. Um, that's where we did our, our first record release party was was the original Hammerjack. Oh, okay. So you know we were just in tune with them and just really good friends and mm-hmm. and of course you know when when they built the, the big place I I think we may even done have done the uh, grand opening. Oh really? Right on. Yeah. Wow. That club's got a, a quite a reputation. Like I remember, I would read it, about it in Metal Edge magazine, and oh, it was hit parade. Yeah, it was happening. Yeah, I was like, it must be a serious scene going on. Well, at that totally, time. that's one of them things. Like if I meet somebody, oh, where are you from? Baltimore. I'm like, oh, cool. You ever been to Hammerjacks? <laughs> oh yeah, seen Kicks there a bunch of times. It's like wow, you know, that's yeah. the answer every time you ask somebody that question. You know, it's yep. great. <laughs> So with uh, with this album, um, it's listed as produced by Bo Hill, Bill Dog Dooley, and Keith Linton. Mm-hmm. Now we know all, obviously Bo Hill doesn't need any introduction. Tell me a little bit about these two other guys. Well, Bill Dooley was the engineer on our first record. Oh, okay. And uh, we remained friends after that. Mm-hmm. And and I remember uh, I can't remember why why Bo couldn't do the last two songs I think it was a time thing where he had to go do something else okay and he only had enough time to to do uh was it eight songs it was ten songs on that record I think so he could only do eight of them and um so we liked working with Bill on the first record like any it was funny because um the first record was produced by Tom Allum and every time we we have a playback especially during the the final mixes Donnie was always pushing for more bass drum. He wanted to feel the bass drum because mm-hmm. that was kind of like our live thing. So Bill Dooley was responsible for, pretty much for the tones and the sound on that record. So we thought, oh, that'd be perfect. Let's just get him to do it. Mm-hmm. And he works, worked for Atlantic. You right. know, he was there. And um, and he brought in Keith. Yeah, Keith Linton was the link 
uh, what's his name? The drummer that did um, that played on those last two songs. Anton Fig. Anton, Anton Fig. Fig. Yeah, him and Keith Lenton played together in several things. Like uh, they did a Link Ray tour, and hmm. so those guys knew each other. And then I think it was before that record, Donnie actually got together with Anton Fig at one point. To, to work on a couple song ideas. But, oh, okay. But I don't think any of those made the record. But but yeah, so Bill Dooley and, and Keith Lenton, oh, they're a lot of fun, a lot yeah. of fun to work with. And, and one cool thing was Keith Lenton had a 59 Les Paul standard. Oh, wow. He brought it into the studio and he was selling it. And, and at that time... Like those guitars now are worth like an average of two hundred and fifty thousand yeah, dollars yeah. just for an average yeah. one, and and uh, back then the going pri- the top price was seven thousand. Wow! And I thought that was like wow, how could anyone ever pay seven thousand for a guitar? But but he said I'll give it to you for five thousand. Mm-hmm. But I'm counting pennies. Right. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> like, it might as well oh, be two hundred and fifty thousand. Like I, I, I got a lot of jars of dragon here right now. <laughs> but but he did let me use it. I got to use it on the record. Wow. So it's all it's all over the record here and there. But but the the one song you can really hear it. I used it on all the rhythm tracks and the solos was mm-hmm. uh, was Bang Bang Balls of Fire. Mm-hmm. That's oh, yeah. that fifty nine Les Paul. Wow. Oh. That must have been it fun was, to play. It was just magic. Yeah. Well, yeah, can't, those are worth a lot of money for a reason. Yeah. So how does um, how does Bo Hill get the call to to produce this record? I wasn't really involved in that process, but I think uh, usually when we're doing a record, the record company suggests has yeah. a bunch of suggestions, and then usually it came down. Donnie was usually the one. You know, he mm-hmm. was the leader of the band. Right. But um, we would have different producers come down to shows. And we, you know, we meet with them and and just to get the vibe. Is there any big names that were almost the producer of this record? Ah, uh, see the third record, but I can't remember on that record specifically who yeah. came down. I can remember the first record. Yeah. Some of them, we had um, Roy Thomas Baker come, oh. come to this dump in Smithsburg, Maryland, called the Mountain View that we used to play. Yeah, he came all the way out there to see us. And, uh, and that was right right after he'd done the cars. Oh, know? wow. So he was like a hot producer. Right. Bo Hill, I mean, he just got done doing Rat right before right. all this. So and, he's on his up, too. And I think that's why Atlantic pushed him because mm-hmm. he was popular at the time. Right. And, and we, you know, we saw that, too. So you know, we went with him. I suppose they probably looked at it as, you know, this guy's doing some good stuff for this band Rat. You know, Kicks, they're kind of along the same lines if you like rat you probably like kicks too you know if this guy can do it for them he can probably do it for these guys right yeah, yeah. and warrant you know yeah. yeah what was uh what was it like working with bo on this record um bo i uh well i have mixed feelings about bo <laughs> I, I like bo he's a nice guy funny guy mm-hmm. and it was cool to hang out with him and stuff and i mean the record sounds great he yeah did a great job and he's he was really good with um, arrangements and all that working mm-hmm. with Donnie because a lot of the songs they were close when we got to the studio but there were parts that needed work and Bo was really good at sorting that stuff out the only thing I had a problem with with Bo was uh, when it came to guitar solos because mm-hmm. he, he was more like a fan of that LA scene wheelie deedly yeah. finger tapping thing and um he kind of looked down upon Ronnie and I because we're more old school '70s style players, right. and, and uh, 
that that mixed with me, you know, during my down point, right? Um, it kind of, you know, it was, it was a little rough on the self esteem. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's and I. Well, it's one thing I've always liked about Kicks is it separated itself from. You know the hundred mile an hour guitar solo thing that right. was that was so in in vogue at the time, but and we were conscious of that. Yeah, too. but like, I, it, but it's an interesting thing. It's almost like you know because when Aerosmith had their comeback with Permanent Vacation, mm-hmm. you essentially had seventy style rock, but with modern twists added for production and stuff like that. I kind of think you guys were ahead of the curve with that because. I've always heard a little bit of Aerosmith and Stones in your lead playing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And on this album, there are modern, at the time, tricks being used to you know, alter the sound a little bit. It's not just a straight through a Marshall thing. and but Because like, there's, there's effects going on with the vocals. There's certain drumming effects going on. Right. It's almost like you guys were a little ahead of Aerosmith on that. With It's got, it's got kind of an old school heart to it, but it's got modern production. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. Yeah, yeah. but I mean, I, I I respected the fact that it didn't have because it became kind of a cookie cutter thing. Everyone going to the Eddie Van Halen school of guitar playing, right? That, and and that was the other sore spot was uh, Bo brought in uh, Mike Slamer. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. Yeah, and I mean, Mike's a super nice guy, so I you know it's like I couldn't get mad at that guy, but right. I was sort of a little bit pissed at Bo for doing it because he he kind of did it. I don't know if Donnie knew about it, but I didn't know about it. And, yeah. and uh, until I got there on that particular song, Scarlet Fever, yeah, um, that was like a new song. So we didn't have a solo. We didn't have the song finished when we got to the studio. So I remember Ronnie and I having our, our discussion. You want to do the lead or should I? You want me to do the lead? Or, mm-hmm. And, and – uh, we usually kind of try to keep it equal, divided up, yeah. equally divided up, and and uh, so that was one of the songs that was like, "Hey, Ronnie, why don't you go ahead and try this one?" So he went in, and at the end of the day, after we did all, put down the basic tracks, and but he didn't have anything planned, so he was sort of just trying to feel it out, and he's in there for a while, mm-hmm. and I remember Bo was getting frustrated because it was time is money in the studio, yeah. and it got to the end of the day, and and Ronnie. Ronnie came to me and he goes, you know, I'm really struggling with this. You want to see if you can do it? So I said, sure, I'll give it a try. So I ran in there. There's like 10 minutes left. Mm. And I ran through it and I was like, hmm, I might have to think about this one just a little bit. So so I had Bo run off the rough tracks Mm -hmm. on a cassette and I took it back to the room. And I said, I'll have something tomorrow. I'll come back in. So like I, I get there at ten in the morning. I come up the elevator and I hear this oh. going on, and I'm like, "What is that? Oh, who's in there?" So I go up to the studio and it's locked. Oh, and I remember hearing that, and I was like, "Oh man!" And and it really that really got to me. I bet. But the icing on the cake was he got done that song, and they went into the slow song oh walking away walking away walking away and that was one of my songs that i hadn't even gotten to yet and all of a sudden i heard mike playing on that Uh, and i don't i'm pretty late yeah 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 but you can't help but be upset by this this. but steam came out my ear i I remember i just lost it and i'm like and i couldn't get in to say anything or anything Uh, yeah and i remember i i just like i couldn't believe it so i went to the lounge and i i just walked in there and i think it was steve and somebody sitting there maybe ronnie a couple guys or maybe jimmy was sitting in there but i walk in and i'm i just looked at him like with, with this look on my face <laughs> like a <Adele. laughs> and i said 
I got to take a walk. And I just left and I just walked for like two hours, like around, just to around bl- burn around. it off. Wow. Yeah. And, and, uh, eventually I came back and I, I did have to talk to Bo about it. And, and I let him know that I was yeah. unhappy with the situation. And so he ended up letting me go back in and do the, the, uh, walking away stuff. But, oh, okay. But there is, you can hear on the fade out, he did sneak in a little bit of Mike's mm. licks in there. I mean, yeah. Mike was a great guitar player, sure. but it, it yeah, wasn't definitely. kicks to me when I heard it. It was like, oh man, that doesn't sound like us. Yeah. <laughs> it's like you're make, making it into something that we're not. Yeah. yeah. Well, how was, how did Bo react to you confronting him about this? I think he understood, but I, but you know, you know, trying to see his perspective, he was just trying to make the best record sure. he could, and right and yeah. as fast as he could. Yeah, and and maybe he didn't understand where we were coming from, totally. You know, as far as the the old school mm-hmm. thing, and he was trying to make it more, you know, Sunset Strip. Sure, right. So yeah. Well, it, it does come off like an L.A. record to me as far as the production style. Well, Bo does have his own yeah. sound. Yeah. Yes, I mean, like, I can hear the similarity between this and Rat's albums. Oh, for yeah, sure. definitely in some spots yeah. for sure on this album. So you say the songs are almost complete at this point, you know, as you're getting ready to go into the studio. And Donnie's the primary songwriter. Mm-hmm. But how does Bob Halligan Jr. come into it? Because he wrote some songs with Priest. But now here he is teaming up with you guys to write some of the pretty much all the songs on this album, right? Donnie had a few guys, Bob Halligan, John Palumbo from Baltimore. And um, later on, he had uh, Taylor Rhodes. But mm-hmm. he would uh, – and and at that point, I think before that record, the record company was uh, – maybe the record company might have hooked him up yeah. initially. I was wondering about that. It's sometimes like – if a record company says, well, I don't know about these songs, they'll bring somebody else in and be like, here, you know, work with this guy. I was wondering if he was kind of forced on you or if he was a friend of somebody's or how that worked. No, I don't think – well, it wasn't like forced, but but they were – I think um, – because I remember Donnie trying a, diff, well, a few different people and and when it clicked, he'd stay with that person. And Bob, yeah. Bob Halligan was one of those guys he clicked with. Right. That's cool. And uh, – you know, because the other one of the other ones was Anton. Yeah, he went up and, and worked on a couple with him, but that didn't quite come together. So he, you know, he never worked with him again. Yeah, because Anton Fig is awesome. Man. Yeah, one of the best drummers ever. Oh, uh, I couldn't believe it. He came in there on those song, those last two songs. They, yeah, he came into the control room and, and he, they ran through and he listened. And then the second run through, he wrote down a couple notes mm-hmm. that they they played, and then he went out to the studio, mm-hmm. like listened to it like twice. Wow. Went out to the studio, and I think he did maybe two run throughs of each song. Wow, and nailed it. So nice. why exactly was he brought in to drum though? Was I mean because Jimmy was more than capable. I mean, is, is there a reason he was brought in to play? Oh, that's a yeah, yeah. Sorry, I forgot to mention that. Okay. <laughs> now, Jimmy was um Jimmy had to get a he had to get surgery on his neck. Oh okay. He was having some uh he had like a pinched nerve or something and yeah. and he was having trouble. He was dropping sticks and and it was something he needed to take care of and that was the it was the only time he could do it because he wanted to recover in time to be able to play, you know, right. when we started doing shows. Oh okay. Right on. Well, you know, you you can't do better than Anton Fig no. to, to replace your drummer for a couple of songs. I mean, the guy's pretty amazing. Um, so let's go a little bit through the track listing. Um, so it start the the title track. Was it no? Well, f- first off, why is Midnight spelled the way it is? 
Uh, you'd have to ask Don. Okay, I'm just curious. <laughs> I guess because it looks but, the same as dynamite, maybe. Um, yeah, I don't know why he did that, but uh, I just know that when, when we first did that record, somebody people would pronounce it. They'd pronounce it dynamite, and he would oh, get he, he'd he, piss him off. He'd go, no, it's not. It's dynamite. <laughs> it's not Jimmy JJ yeah, Walker. Yeah. <laughs> oh, <my>. yeah. <laughs> well, did um, with the title track being the opening track, was it? relatively early on that it was decided that that was going to be the title of the of the album <clears throat> was there any other names in contention for the title of the album oh that's that's a good question because usually the title comes after we're done mm-hmm. recording um yeah i don't know if there was any other suggestions i can't remember now mm. well with that one leading off um and donnie and bob halligan wrote that guess so we could say that just about all the end palumbo for uh, so it's, yeah it's like a basically between three people other than the last song that wrote pretty much the majority of everything it looks like on this. Mm-hmm. You guys still play this song in the set today. So, um, Midnight Dynamite? Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, it was it was a video for one thing, right. too. Right. I don't know. We try to sort of throw in something from each record usually. Mm-hmm. Um, usually show business and uh, cool kids are the ones that don't get thrown in as often, but... And I love show business. Yeah. I, I think that album doesn't get nearly enough yeah, There's credit. a couple of good ones on there. Yeah. I like Cool Kids, too. I like, I like that. I bought that on vinyl a couple of months ago. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but, but Midnight Dynamite, I don't know. That's just a good one. There, I mean, there's a couple others we could do that we have done even off that record, but I think that's the most recognizable. Kind of a good kick in the face to get things started. I like that. Where was the video recorded at? That was in Emmitsburg, Maryland, at the, at Mount St. Mary's College. They have had a big auditorium. Yeah. And and that was near the end of the whole touring cycle. And, and Atlantic was done paying for stuff at that point. Mm-hmm. And so that was a self a self paid for video that we did on our own, just because we wanted. Uh, we wanted a little more time before we went back into right. the studio. Why was that place, that location chosen for the video? Uh, it was probably because it was cheap. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm assuming. Yeah, I know. Somebody it, was asking. It, what, we, what we did was we, we advertised it and then charged $5 to get in to, mm. to watch the video being made. Oh, that's cool. And we pretty much packed the place. Oh, so you <laughs> yeah, have to recoup your expenses. Is, the extras paid you yeah. to be a part of it. That's genius. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I see in the video, you even got like the headbanger guys up front, you know, yeah. really getting into it, man. That's cool. Yeah. Did anyone ever uh, notice the gorilla? Mm-mm. No. During Ronnie's solo? There's a gorilla? Yeah. I'll have to go back and you watch, have to watch now. that again now and look <laughs> for the gorilla. really quick. Like, most people don't catch the gorilla. No, I never caught it. Wow. So, so there's an Easter egg in the video. Yeah. <laughs> it's the name of the next Kicks album, Catch the Gorilla. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. So track two is Red Hot, Black, and Blue. Was this one played live over, yeah. over the years? Yeah. Yeah, that one, um, we played a lot back back in the old days. I think that was probably one of 
One of the ones that we used to play before we, we oh, went back into the studio. But cool. that one, we pulled that one out. When was that? It was right before we started doing the the, the Blow My Fuse record in its entirety. Mm-hmm. We, we had this set list that had a bunch of different stuff in it. Red Hot, Black and Blues in there. It's a cool song, man. Yeah. I like it. Has there ever been talk about doing this one, this album in its entirety? Um, well, now that we did the one, mm-hmm. uh, who knows? We might go back and do this too. It's an anniversary <laughs> next year, so it'd be yeah. a good candidate for that. There you go. It's a possibility. You know, people love it. They vote for yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. The only song we've never... Well, I'll, I'll wait till you get to it. But. Okay. <laughs> so, um, Bang Bang Balls of Fire. And this is... Co-written also with Kip Winger. I mean, what was? Oh, yeah. How was? Uh, how did you guys end up working with him? Because this is pre-Winger days. Kip was a friend of Bo. Oh, okay. And while we were recording, showed up with, uh, to the studio to hang out one day, and he had a cassette, and he gave it to Donnie. It had that lick? It was just like the guitar riff for the verse going into to the solo um, chorus. It was just like a two-part riff, and that was it. Mm-hmm. And. Uh, he, he just gave it to Donnie and said, hey, Donnie, see if you could do something with this. Mm-hmm. And, and so Donnie wrote the song around it. And I remember it might have been um, – now see here, I was accusing Steve of getting like timelines wrong. But <laughs> I'm just guessing here. But Don't worry. The internet will correct you anyway. So. <laughs> well, but because we did that – we did do that record in two parts. I'm thinking maybe Kip showed up early on mm-hmm. at the beginning gave Donnie the, the thing and then Donnie worked on it and then we came back because I remember when it came time to do that song Donnie didn't have the chorus right we had some other chorus that wasn't quite there and I remember Bo going nah nah I don't think that's gonna work and um, so Donnie rewrote it and came back with, with that one Here also. 
Not not out here, but we see them yeah, all the time on the, like on on the, the road. cruises. And yeah, yeah, we're still friends. That's cool. But yeah, it's interesting to have him his name pop up because this is well before you know he had, he blew up popularity wise. Right. Yeah, 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 he was still a struggling songwriter in New yeah. York City. At that I think this is that's right before he got the Alice Cooper gig playing bass. Yeah, for him. you're right. Yeah. yeah, so that's very early for him. Yeah, because I remember going to when when he got that gig, we all went out to to see him. Oh yeah, they played uh, where was that? Um, it was that place. Uh, uh, it was in Maryland, anyway. It was okay, <laughs> a place in Maryland. That's cool. So then that goes to um, Patriot Center. That's Patriot Center. Uh, okay. Cool. <laughs> so then it goes to. It's listed as laying rubber, but Steve says lion rubber through the whole song. So I always wondered what why that was. Uh, why the it name is laying rubber? Yeah, but he's, yeah. the way he sings it, he sounds like he's lion rubber. It's his inflection, man. Well, that, maybe, maybe that Baltimore that, maybe, accent. Maybe Baltimore the, accent. <laughs> either that, or maybe the the vowels easier to sing. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's, maybe it's a singer thing. Yeah, I love this song. This is like a straight up rocker. It's like perfect song to get a speeding ticket to. I think a land yeah. rubber. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah I, I think it's funny because I, sometimes I go back and listen to these songs and and it'll like click like oh I see where Donnie got the inspiration for that one. Like it, mm-hmm. sometimes at the time I don't see it. That one. I remember um, the Hanoi Rocks uh, Two Steps from the Move record was popular. Yeah. And there was some, uh, there's some song on there, I can't remember which one, but it kind of had that same feel to the, like, the verse part. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where Donnie got the inspiration. Cool. It's cool. I like the, uh, see, this is another kind of a weird thing about this album to me because to me, Kick's always just a straightforward hard rock band. But like the intro part and the breakdown that comes right before the gu- the guitar solos has like that new wave kind of production that stop go go stop 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 go thing it does you know and it's mm-hmm. it's weird to me because is this Bo Hill tinkering around with synthesizers and just adding stuff to these songs and I mean what's going on here with all that I don't I think that was Donnie yeah Donnie had. Um he had a lot of pop influences. I was going to say, there's like some pop influence really to some of these songs. through on some of that where it yeah. sounds like there's elements of, you know, there, it kicks. Aerosmith kind of influenced, ACDC kind of influenced rock band. Mm-hmm. But then there's this other stuff all mixed in there that almost sounds like Duran Duran or, you know. Well, I think Donnie's. Frankie Goes to Hollywood or something like that with that kind of stuff in there, too. Well, I think Donnie's, his pop roots are further back like Motown-ish yeah mm-hmm. like he he, he used, he'd borrow stuff from back then you know back in his early 60s or you know stuff would come up like that yeah
it's a very unique sounding record because it's got it'll have like it'll be rocking along and then the, something will kind of come out of nowhere and it'll be like oh what is that's interesting you know well I, yeah, yeah. It, for, it, for me like working on the songs when we used to put these songs together Donnie would like bring it in and he'd, he'd We'd be going through it and it'd be grooving along, and all of a sudden he'd want to put some other weird thing. Yeah. And it would be like, like how'd you think of that? Like, where'd <laughs> that come from? But I think Donnie was like a, he had so many ideas, and somehow he, he kept like, he, it was almost like a file cabinet of ideas, and, and mm-hmm. he could just pull stuff out. Like, uh, you know, there'd be a part of a song, like, um, 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 Ring Around Rosie. Uh, which is not on this record, but uh, the middle of that that little breakdown thing after the solo, that came from a song that that we used to have back in 1979. Wow, when we were the shoes. You just recycled it. Yeah, yeah. Like that song piece will work in this. Yeah, thing and here, wow. Somehow he wow. Could, he could just grab a thing from some old song and put it there, and it worked, and it was like, oh. That's like similar to what Gene Simmons does with a lot of his songs. He'll yeah. Frankenstein something from back in the day and add it to something new. Yeah, yeah. Well, a lot, lot of songwriters do that. Yeah, sure. Like, uh, well, somebody that was really good at stealing from himself was Steve Miller. Mm. <laughs> he used to do that. Oh, yeah. But, yeah. Just do it a little backwards. Yeah, yeah. This little piece there, there. It's a totally different song now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, next one is uh, Walking Away. And um, somebody had a question about this. They asked, did anyone push hard for Walking Away to be a single or video, or did it just fall upon deaf ears at Atlantic? Well, we didn't push because yeah. I think we didn't really want to do the, go the ballad route right. as far as a single. But I'm trying to remember. Well, that song, I think, was, was kind of Prince-influenced. Mm-hmm. I could hear that. Yeah, yeah for Donnie sure. was into Prince, too. Yeah. And Especially 80s Prince. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, I, I don't know. I think it was just um, an idea he had that we ended up working on, and it, it kind of man. I remember working on that though. Oh, in our rehearsal studio doing demos, mm-hmm. and uh, we'd work for hours and hours and hours. We'd be there like twelve hours, and at the end of the day, just like okay, can we be done now? And yeah. and and, uh, and Donnie, what we. We'd we'd uh, mix down it to a cassette, and then Donnie would want to go out and listen to it in the car to see if it was it was right. The car test, yeah. And he'd go out there and he'd smoke a joint and listen to it, and we'd be going, "Oh no, please like it." <laughs> then he'd come back in and he'd want to like redo it, and it'd be oh. like ten at night, and we'd be going, "Oh." So this one was labored over intensely. <laughs> it was, yeah. but I mean, it turned out pretty cool. It, it did, yeah. but but I mean, you can tell the Prince thing that breakdown at the end. Yeah, yes. The wah-wah and all that. Yeah, yeah, I love that. Was it a song that everybody in the band bought into at the time? Or were the people like kind of like, eh, I don't know if we should tread this water? Yeah, there was probably mixed feelings. Because it was a different song. Yeah, but a lot of times we sort of just went with it because, yeah. you know, Donnie was so good yeah. at it. You yeah. know, we just kind of trusted him on that. Right. And I love the lyrics in this song. I like how it tells a story. And the thing I always think of when I hear this song is, wow, you know, Steve White, is this guy one of the most unique vocalists ever or what? Nobody sounds like this guy. Nobody can do quite what he does vocally. And I think that's one thing that I always liked about Kicks was, you know, his vocals and how different he is. From, you can't compare this guy to anybody else. <laughs> yeah, he is unique. Yeah, for sure. I like that. Yeah. 
just to go on a tangent, we we saw you guys play at the Farm Rock Show here in Nashville a few years ago. You guys yeah. were awesome. And stole the show you, that day. You totally. guys were. Everybody I, was saying so. I hadn't yeah. seen you live before. Oh really? And I, you know, had all the albums and everything, so I was excited to see you. You guys well exceeded my expectations. Oh, yeah. I was just like. Damn, it's like I felt like I like went back to 1988 because you guys feel like it's like you haven't lost anything. Wow, you should see us in our home area. I mean, that that was on yeah. rented gear, so we were scrambling. It sounded amazing. Yeah. Th- those kind of good. shows are just like, yeah, you get out there and stuff's not working right. And but but uh, when we're on our own gear and we're comfortable, mm-hmm. that's it's uh, even better. I bet. But uh, where, you know, I got a question. Where was that? Exactly? Um, now that I live in Nashville, yeah, was, uh, I, I drive around and I think, where was it, that? Marathon Music Works. Okay. It's basically just west of downtown. Okay. I have to look that up. Yeah. That was, was a fun weekend. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Even though the uh, promoter, well, we're not going to get into that. Um, I don't have to tell you. Uh, but yeah, the um, yeah. yeah, there was a lot of right. controversy about, about the guy that put that show together after the fact and uh, people not getting paid and uh, a big mess. And that happens sometimes. I'm sh- it's probably part and parcel for this business. I'm but sure. We're, we're lucky to have a really good agent, and he always makes sure we're paid up front. Yeah, and we right get a on. good deposit and all that stuff. That's good. Yeah, because it's you never know. Who you're working with out there? Walking, um, Walking away is another one of these songs where there's a whole lot of synthesizer and effects and stuff going on in there. Is that like you say that a lot of that's Donnie? I mean, is is Donnie doing keyboards and synthesizers too, or is that Bo Hill doing that stuff, or who's adding all this extra things to these songs? Um, Donnie did like especially on the demos. Donnie would yeah. do all the keyboards. Um, I don't. He may have done it in the studio, but I think Bo. Bo added to it yeah. too, because one thing this album kind of reminds me of is like a few years before this, ZZ Top had come out with Eliminator, mm, right? And there's a lot of that, them same kind of effects going on in that album is this one, and it, they just kind of remind me of each other a little bit in those ways because of the effects that are on it. Yeah, I guess it was the time era. Yeah, totally. It puts that stamp on it. And says, "Yep, this came from 1985." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and the, yeah, the ZZ Top thing. That's when they started. They would double the bass on, on yeah. keyboard. You know, the, the the keyboard bass. Right. So it just gave it an extra punch. Yeah. And I think we did some of that on this this record too. Cool. Yeah. Uh, to go back to you're talking about Donnie with his uh, Motown influence. Somebody had a question like, who came up with the ode to James Brown at the end of Bang Bang Balls of Fire? You know, the, the jump back, kiss myself. I'm guessing that's Donnie. Uh, bring, or who wrote who wrote that? That might have just been Steve. Like. I mean, Steve's spontaneous like that. Yeah. And and it might have been like a stage thing that he did, and then maybe Donnie might have said, hey, why don't you do that do on the that. end of that on, when we record it? Gotcha. That's cool. And we already kind of covered Scarlet Fever. I do. I love that song. I do, too. That's, um, to me, Scarlet Fever is like classic Kicks. You know, that's the kind of song I expect from Kicks, and it kind of foreshadows like what's about to come with Blow My Fuse. on Blow My Fuse and it kind of shows where you guys are going. Yeah, I mean, if it wasn't for that solo, I would yeah. like that song too. <laughs> right, yeah. well, yeah, it's, yeah. it's a little tainted for you, well, I'm sure. always go, oh, you guys going to play that? And I'm like, well, the one thing too, uh, after Mike did that solo, 
And, you know, we did do that song live. I remember saying, I'm not doing that solo. If, if, I'm, if you want me to play a solo on there, I'll play something. But right. not that. Right. And Ronnie actually took it upon himself to, to go up to New Jersey to meet with Mike and have Mike teach him that solo. Oh, yeah. really? So we could do it live. Gotcha. And, um, yeah, Ronnie went up there a few times to, to, to meet with him. Oh, really? Yeah. Hmm. Got to hand it to him, though. It is a pretty cool solo. It is. I mean, Mike's a, he was a, a fantastic player. guitar player. Yeah. yeah he, he helped out on a lot of people's <clears throat> albums. Never good famously for the uh, Warrant album. Mm, yeah. That's, yeah. Yeah, which there's a whole story behind that. <laughs> and then... You know, and then Michael making sure to put that there were no substitute players on Dog Eat Dog right, after yeah. that whole experience is because he was like Joey Allen's a good guitar player. We have to, you know, you can't. We've got to get people to shut up about the whole Mike Slamer thing. No, that's you know. cool. Yeah, well, yeah, we can get into war. I'm sure you know those guys too. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so then with Cry Baby, um, any particular memories about the recording of this this tune? Cry Babies, it was funny. Now that you're you're going through the song list, mm-hmm. this was another one that wasn't finished when we got to the studio, and uh, it may have just been like a rough idea, and maybe we needed an, another song or whatever other song we had because there were several. I guess that probably didn't make it, right? And maybe Bo heard this riff and thought it was something to mess with. Mm-hmm. So um, that was. That was a lot of Bow Hill on that one. Oh, really? Yeah. In fact, that song was pretty much put together. I remember coming in and hearing it um, after the fact. I mean, there's guitar on it, and I, yeah. I played parts, but but Bo pretty much put it together. Oh, really? Yeah. That's one thing we haven't really said on this so far is, man, the rhythm section on this album. You know, it's it's so tight and so good. The bass and the drums, all the way, all these songs so far. You know, we can't go too far into this without giving some credit to all that. You know, because mm-hmm. it's that's some good stuff. And I especially like, I like Donnie's playing. I like Donnie as a bass player because he's got that funkiness to him. You know, and he he writes the songs. He's like, uh, 
He was uh, he was a true bass player. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah he, his playing really shines on this album. And Jimmy too. The drums are pretty awesome on all this too. Yeah, him him and Jimmy really had a thing. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. A lot of chemistry in the band. Yeah. Well, and speaking of the bass playing, uh, we go into Cold Shower, which uh, you know it's a, there's a heavy bass presence on yes. this one. His his bass is way up in the mix on this one. Unusual song for a hard rock band, you know. It's it's this is like pop and hard rock kind of crossing over, sure. I think. And maybe laying rap kind. Of. Yeah, there's like a little said, bit of yeah. the rap feel on it too. Well, that was this song. You know, the rapping with Steve and Ronnie. This makes it my favorite hip hop album of 1984. <laughs> for sure. Too short ain't got nothing on you guys. <laughs> He still has it. The band Cracked the Sky. Oh, okay. You heard of them? I've heard the name, yeah. Yeah, they were like a 70s kind of progressive rock and really tight, super tight band, Baltimore band. Mm-hmm. And um, Donnie would use use the different guys for different feels. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and John Palumbo always had that almost like a almost like a a John Lennon rough edge to him. Mm-hmm. You know, like, like in the Beatles, there was... Paul McCartney was a little smoother, and then right. the more edgy stuff was usually John John Lennon, right. and and uh, and um, John Palumbo was kind of like that. Like anytime Donnie wanted something with a little rougher edge to it, he'd go to John Palumbo. Oh, okay. And and I remember John bringing that in, and I don't think I think Donnie went to work with him first. Like we didn't, hadn't even heard. Like I don't even know where this idea came from like I didn't hear it before the fact so I don't know if it was something that John and him just came up with mm-hmm. but uh, they brought it back to us and, and I remember working on it and it was like uh, I thought it was cool because it was just this funky thing and right. I've always liked funky stuff you know yeah um, but that bass part that was John Palumbo like that, he was a bass player too. Oh, okay. I mean, he could play that slap bass. Stuff. Yeah. And I remember when he came in with it, I'm thinking, is Donnie going to do that? I couldn't believe Donnie was open minded enough to even like try that. Because yeah, that's that's, cool. that's, that's almost as bad as wanting Ronnie and I to play finger taps. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, it is yeah, a stretch. Cool. Yeah. I mean, that's 
it's a very unusual song, but it's, it's catchy. It'll get stuck in your head. You yeah, know? it is. I've, I've had this song because I've listened to the album several times You know, the past week, just getting ready to talk to you. This is another one for me where it's kind of like if you took Aerosmith and Duran Duran, locked him in a room and said, <laughs> write a song. You know, this is kind of what you'd get. <laughs> yeah, and it was, it was just off the wall enough, but that was the cool thing. Yeah. It's like it just sort of... Throwing it in with all those other songs, it was like a really cool mix. Yeah. Uh-huh. And it ends up being a single. You guys make a video for it and everything? Yeah, and they cut out the guitar solo, which bummed me out. Really? Yeah. In the video? The, yeah, there's no yeah. guitar solo. That's ridiculous. It goes straight yeah. from right before the solo into the breakdown. And there's no solo. Oh, and yeah. I, I remember when we did the video and they, you know, we got the ver- the single version. Mm-hmm. Back then, I don't know why the single version always eliminated the guitar solo, or at least half of it. Right. And I remember hearing it, and I got because I had plans for the video with that guitar solo. <laughs> oh man! And, and I it's hear, moves. Yeah, and it's a really weird guitar solo. So I was just gonna like have fun with it, and then I it's gone, and I'm like, oh man, <laughs> that sucks. Yeah. Oh man. Well, then it goes into lie like a rug. Um, what are your thoughts on on this track? That's another John Palumbo. Yeah, I love this song. I love it. I like man. it a lot. And, too. And the that, riffage on this song is just some great out of riffing. This world, man. Yeah, if you've never heard "Crack the Sky," that that's that's kind of their sound, like that riff yeah. kind of thing. They have stuff like that, and it's like I have to check this band out. Oh, they're really good. They're like, uh, yeah, progressive rock kind of. They're rock, but they have like the. Um, Super tight harmonies and yeah. and just tight. They're tight. But anyway, getting back to "Light Like a Rug," that um, that was that's a fun song. We still do that live. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's a good one. That is a good one. But that's the one I remember. You know, when I have a vision of Anton Fig just walking out in the <laughs> studio and sitting down behind the drums, running through it once and going, uh, "Let me try that one more time," and then nailing it. Wow. And he pretty much nailed it the first time, too, but I guess there was a few things he wanted to tighten wow. up. Wow. That speaks to his playing. <laughs> that level. sounds about right. Yeah. An amazing That's musician. another thing on this song, too, that really stands out is, you know, from time to time we've talked about great guitar duos. And, man, you and Ronnie got it down on this album. And this song, it really, really features it. I love... I love these kick songs because, especially because I'm a guitar nut, you know, I love guitar solos, you know, the more rocking the better. Mm-hmm. And you guys have a way of, man, you each do your own thing. You can tell where one guy stops and the other one starts. I think somebody that has never even listened to rock music before could put on headphones and be able to tell exactly where you come in, where he comes in, where you go out, where he goes out, because it's just different enough, but still it's all so cohesive. Mm-hmm. And I, I just love this song for that, you know, the, the guy, the way you guys work together on the guitars on it, and this whole album, really.
thing where you were similar but but just different enough. Right. right. So. Yes, for sure. And you mentioned the the old school Les Paul that you played on this album. What, what was some of the other gear that you that you remember recording with on this? Um, well, I had my Marshalls. I had um, I'm trying to remember which Marshalls. I have a 50 watt that I still have, but I had. Um, oh no, that's not the same one. It's a different one. I, I've I've gone through equipment here, yeah. Yeah. selling yeah. and getting it back, and mm-hmm. uh, I yeah, uh, I had a 50 watt, an old JMP 50 watt 72, 1972. Nice. And several early 70s, 100 watts. So <clears throat> it's probably either the 50 or the 100. And then Bo used to like to to record two different sounds and then blend them. I think I might have had... I might have had my Mesa Boogie by then. Because I also used the Mesa Boogie, a Mark IIc, which mm-hmm. is like an early 80s. Mm-hmm. Which is a, it's like a hand-wired, really nice head. I still have that too. I use that live throughout throughout the eighties. Mm-hmm. So I probably had a Marshall, the Mesa Boogie, and then uh, I also used a Roland Chorus amp. Oh, okay. Uh-huh. I don't know the one of those cor- yeah. Roland Chorus. Uh, it's like a two twelve, and and just for like a clean alternate. I took tone. guitar lessons with a teacher who had me play through one of those. Yeah, so I, I know the sound of that very well. They have, you have a unique sound. Yeah, very unique. Yeah. And I remember trying it out going, man, this sounds pretty cool. Mm-hmm. So, I, so I'd put that on one side and then run through one of the dirty amps on the other, like oh, the cool. Marshall 50 or something cranked. And then uh, you know, as far as guitars, uh, the, the 59 I used on a few things. And then m- that uh, my old 63 Strat on on cold shower and I remember um, Bo complaining because it was buzzing you know it's an old Strat that's what they do buzz (laughs) and I'm out there and he's going can you use a different guitar (laughs) it's like no this is the one it's like you're a producer not a guitar player and and he was he'd go but it's and I go, yeah, but listen to any old Jimmy Hendrix yeah, record. You can hear buzz everywhere. You can hear his Strad buzzing. <laughs> Part of the charm. Yeah. yeah. So he finally let me use it, but he, <laughs> he so did not want me to use that guitar. No, that's funny. But uh, was there any tellies being played on this? No, I didn't no? use telly on anything. Some of the back stuff then. I can almost hear a telly being played. No, but I used um, that that melody maker of mine. Mm-hmm. That it can clean up almost telly live. Yeah. I used that, and I used um, uh, my '75 Les Paul Standard. What other guitarist did I take in there? I had a bunch of guitars, but <laughs> can't remember which ones I used on that. It's funny; some records I can remember exactly. Mm-hmm. This one, I know. You know, I know the Strad, and I know the uh, those other two. I always used to use. Those were my my main right. guitars. Cool. So for the the non musicians that are still tuning in, we'll go forward from here. <laughs> so I, I I wanted to nerd out for a minute because um, it's just always interesting to hear what is being played on some of these sure. records. I, I love that stuff. Yeah, the guitar tone on this album is awesome. Yeah, well, I mean, we pretty much use the same stuff on almost all the yeah. records, really. I that's mean, the why, only that's why the guitar tone is awesome on every Kicks album, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I think the only difference was after Cool Kids. I well, yeah, after Cool Kids, I got the Mesa Boogie, but. For cool kids, I used a Mesa Boogie combo mm-hmm. that was at the studio. They rented it, and that's how I figured out that oh, these amps sound pretty good. Yeah, I and mean, that was in the old days when they did used to sound good. Right, but uh, 
I don't. Oh, and another amp I forgot to mention is I have a '66 Fender Bassman head. Oh wow! That I that I bought in junior high, and that's another one I used to bring along, and I would use it on select like solo parts because mm-hmm. it's just oh, I love that love that amp. That one pretty much made it on every record too. Right that's on. cool. That's awesome. So let's go into the last song, "Sex." Okay. So uh, somebody. Hit- this is going to be a strange question. Try to find anything out about the whisper at the end of the song Sex. I always thought they said steal. Didn't know if it was a reference to when the wrestler George the Animal Steel began to speak a few words in his wrestling interviews. What? I could be way off here, but whatever it is, I just always wondered why it was included. All right, spill There's it, the weirdest Tell question you'll George get all the year. Animal Steel story. Well, whoever asked that, yes, you were way off. <laughs> uh he actually says, see ya. See ya. See ya. Okay. And that was... Uh, <laughs> George the Animal Steel. Wild. That Can't was, make uh, this stuff up. <laughs> that was actually... I get... Uh, it was... You know, see, now I can't remember the specifics, but I think it was a rat thing. Mm-hmm. And it came through Bo from Rat. And then by the time we got to the end of the record, we were using it. So... Oh, Okay. That's interesting. Yeah. I just make up a story about George the Animal Steel and start telling that. <laughs> I, I have to Google him to see who that is. So I know who I'm talking about. No, you, you don't. You don't need to worry about Google. Awesome. He was. We'll just say he lived up to his name. Yeah, I'll just for say sure. that. Um, there's, a, you know, there's some more harmonica playing on this record. Mm-hmm. Was that something Bo suggested, or did Steve want to do that on his own? Um, yeah, Steve was always. He used to have fun playing harmonica, but it's funny because. Um, some of those outside instruments like the harmonica, mm-hmm. the saxophone, those are things that that Donnie would dump on him like, hey, why don't you see if you can play play this? <laughs> like you know, Something that Steve had never done before and, and then Steve would have to figure it out for the song. Wow. And I remember way back in the beginning when Steve first started messing with the harmonica, it, it was like um, – I can't remember the first song that he brought that out on. But uh, all he could play was like Love Me Do. Mm-hmm. You know, that kind of thing on it, but he kept working on it, working on it, and got better and better at it. Sounds like Donnie cool. always kept it interesting for you guys. Yeah. Well, hey, we're going to do this thing we've never done before. Well, that was the thing with Donnie too. You, you know, we'd go out to see a band, you know, go out to a concert or something, and you'd see a band do some crazy live thing, and and like we'd all be sitting there, and. And we'd see somebody do something, and we'd all look at each other going, oh, no. <laughs> We're going to have to do that. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> yeah. Like Donnie would see somebody. Like he had Steve do so many crazy things on stage. I can't believe Steve went for it. But, <laughs> oh, like like going up on lifts and mm-hmm. swinging from ropes. And uh, what was the one? Was it a Stones thing? It might have been Ted Nugent. Or maybe both, like but there might have been a swing thing. Yeah, that was Nugent. Yeah. Well, there was a, one uh, where, where whoever it was was on a, the amp stack on one side of the stage and leapt out on this rope and it swung around and they ended up on the other side. So, so Johnny wanted Steve to do it. Oh wow! And I remember them hooking it up and it just was not like. We had nobody there to figure out how it's supposed to work. Right. So it's trial and error. No, no safety advisors around or yeah. anything like that. Yeah. Get your singer killed. Steve would jump off, go swinging out, and then come slam back into the thing. You know, it's like, well, that's not going to work. So, so I don't know what, whatever became of the rope, but 
There was a lot of things like that. <laughs> You're never going to believe it. I just saw this band kiss. You're going to start breathing fire and spitting blood. <laughs> oh, I'm surprised you didn't have to breathe fire. Well, I think the reason for that was back in the late 70s when we used to we were still the shoes and we were on the club circuit. There were so many New Jersey bands that would breathe fire. Oh, really? Yeah. Trying yeah. to copy Gene Simmons? Yeah, there were I didn't fire know that became a thing. The, the guitar spin. That was a New Jersey oh, really? thing, too. Yeah. Like Cinderella. Cinderella, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, all the New Jersey bands did that trick. Yeah, how many guitars got ruined from oh. people trying to do that? Well, there was another one where, oh, where did Donnie get this idea? Where he wanted Steve, this was, um, he must have seen somebody do it. So we're, we're at a sound check somewhere at some gig, and I can't remember what song it was, but at one point he wanted Ronnie and I to be out front <laughs> and to for Ronnie and I sort of to drop down like hunched like down on our knees hunched over and then Steve would come running and jump over us sounds like a van halen thing i don't know where yeah. he got it but so we were practicing it and we get down and Steve jumps over and miscalculates and lands on my back oh. and i'm holding my 75 less paul standard and it goes splat and the neck just snaps right off the top of the neck breaks off of it. Dang. And uh, I was so bummed because I had that guitar since it was new. Oh, man. <laughs> so that was the beginning and the end of that neck because I remember getting it fixed. And then it just – every time I get it fixed, I break it again, break it again. Then the roadie would knock it over, break it again. And I, I finally ended up getting the neck replaced. But Wow. But so many of those tricks would backfire like that. <laughs> The things you do for theatricality. Uh-huh. Yep. <laughs> oh, All in the name of putting on a great show. Oh, and, and I mean, speaking of tricks, the, the balloon trick, the balloons where he jumps on the balloons, that all came about because we went and saw the Stones on the 81 tour where they dropped the balloons. Yeah. So Donnie was like, oh, we got to do that. And then the roadies couldn't make it work right. <laughs> I remember putting the balloons up. And then the time would come and they'd pull the string and the thing wouldn't open like one balloon would come down. <laughs> and, then, and, then we'd, and then one night we're playing at this club in Baltimore and we get to the end of the night and everybody's kind of going, where's the balloons? <laughs> we look over and, and Steve looks over and they're, they're leaning up against the wall, the balloon bags. The, the, the road crew forgot to put them forgot up. Forgot to put them up. And it just leaned them over. <laughs> so Steve just runs over and grabs one and pulls it out and dives on it. And then that's where that whole thing came from. Oh, wow. <laughs> so you've had a few spinal tap moments. Yeah, yeah. 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 Definitely. <laughs> oh, yeah, when we saw spinal tap, it was like uh, – Funny, but not funny. Yeah, yeah it's, it's like this is too close. Yeah, I've seen this movie before. Yeah, I've lived yeah. this movie. <laughs> yeah, they knew what they were doing when they put that movie together. I mean, I, I'm sure you guys have gotten lost going to the stage under a. Oh, you know, yeah, I'm we sure still that, do. Yeah, that, that probably happens yeah. pretty regularly. Yeah, and you probably always yell, "You hello, Cleveland!" Whatever you do, <laughs> right. <laughs> Oh, awesome. So when this so when this record comes out, I mean, do you guys immediately hit the road and and just start start hitting it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. In fact, um, let's see, we got done. Let's see, the end of January of nineteen eighty five. I can't remember when the release date was, but um, it's usually a few months down the road. Right. And yeah, we just jump right back out and start doing it again. Yeah. Who were you playing with at the time? Like live, like was it doing shows on your own, or were you doing opening arena tours, or um, nah, we we're probably just the same old Hammerjacks, uh, right. you know, whatever, right? 
So all, back in those days, well, I know you mentioned the solo getting cut out of one of the videos, but uh, when because MTV at this point is basically at its height, you know, mm-hmm. and and it's making or breaking bands. Mm-hmm. So is it a giant thrill to see yourself on television? Did you start getting noticed more when you're out in public? Um. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's always a thrill to yeah. hear yourself either on the radio or, or especially on TV where you can see it. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I remember back then, they didn't play us very often. I, you'd have to be up in the middle of the night to catch one of our videos. Right. <laughs> but but uh, that one, I think by that, well, I think, well, Cool Kids was the first time we did videos, and that right. was actual video. I mean, it was like real low budget. Mm-hmm. So this one, you know, the, the cold shower was a little bit bigger budget it was like film and yeah it, right you so, guys are playing in the water well actually playing in front of the water right yeah so i was gonna say it's the 80s video magic where it's pouring rain but everybody's dry well see now they could do it on computer yeah. right I mean, that was actual water behind us wow like they had these big things spraying up into mm-hmm. the air and i wondered down. about that if that was really real or how they would have done it back then but it was really real yeah and that that girl that was dancing and it was in it yeah <laughs> there's actually two girls it was supposed to be one but we ran out of time or she had she had to leave so yeah the the other girl there's a blonde that was the main girl that, that uh that we got for the video and then there's a dark haired girl she's the one holding the umbrella right yeah, yeah she was the director's girlfriend oh really <laughs> so she had to fill in <laughs> who's the guy on the couch some actor guy yeah I forget his name we kept in touch with him for a little while I mean he was a struggling actor though mm-hmm. like most actors <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but uh, I think he got a few little parts here and there but I don't know if whatever became of that guy hmm <clears throat> What it was, was all a uh, dream. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> were uh, were were all the members of the band in agreement on the track listing for this, or was there anything that was left off that you wish had been on the on the record? Uh, yeah, I think. Well, you know, once you record it, I, there's usually maybe one or two songs that were worked on in the studio that mm-hmm. didn't make it, but I can't remember what they were on this one. Yeah. Um, but I think, yeah, I think. Uh, I think we all agreed on on the the tracks. Yeah. Does so, Donnie have a vault somewhere with like the demos and stuff off of this that never got released? I don't know where those are. Yeah. I probably have them all on cassette. Yeah. I kept all that stuff. That's like we cool, mix man. them down, I just keep the cassette. I have a I have boxes full of that stuff. See, kicks vault someday. <laughs> yeah. That would be cool. He charged two thousand dollars like Uncle Gene did. <laughs> yeah, I like to go back and hear the the original chorus to um, Bang Bang. I remember uh, the same thing happened with Blow My Fuse. The original chorus was well, that got changed before we got to the studio. But the original one we were working on, I remember thinking, you know, I remember Donnie coming in one day and going, oh, "Forget that chorus. We're going to do it like this." And I and the one that on there now was like this real simplified version I was thinking man the other course was really good I, I can't hmm. he just like tossed it out like that but Donnie knew what he was doing you know yeah so there's a completely different chorus on a different version of that yeah huh. wow that's cool I'd be interested to hear that I'd like to hear that someday I, I wonder if I had a copy I, I, it may not even gotten to the demo stage before we tossed it hmm. wow. so, it'd be cool to have a copy of that I don't mm-hmm. remember what it was 
So, but overall, when you We're look, buy you a cassette player. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> overall, when you look back on on this record, I mean, where does this rank in in the the long line of stuff you guys have done? Um, it's up there. I think. I, I think. Um, I mean, I like all the records, obviously, but I think to, musically. My favorite was Hotwire, mm-hmm. and then Blow My Fuse, and then this one. Okay, gotcha. But at the time, this was the top. Yeah, of course. But yeah, it you know it, in the progression of things, mm-hmm. it, it was really uh, it was like night and day. Right, and you can see it. I mean, that first record was this little thin sound and thing and then all of a sudden you know then Cool Kids was a little bit better and then this one was like boom yeah you know finally like you know we sort of came into our sound oh and you got you got a little heavier as each album went on was that a conscious decision with each record like well it's good but we we should be a little heavier on this one hmm that's a good question if it was conscious uh I don't know or is it more of just let's do these songs and well I think well, live we always pretty much sounded like the same. Yeah, but maybe the studio we pull back a little. I don't. I know I would. I, I'm a fan of like uh, uh, like the first record. Even um, the Pretenders record was they, they they had just put their record. Sorry, excuse me. <laughs> um, put their record out. And I'm, I was a big fan of like the the um, James Honeyman Scott sound. Mm-hmm. I used to love that jangly yeah that thing that he had. So like the itch was inspired by that. Okay, but that's how I, I would sort of. I'm a guitar tone freak, and right. I love. I don't like just blown over affected guitar. Right. I, yeah, I right. like the, I like the sound of the guitar and the amp to come through. Right. So I always try to dial it back in the studio sure. slightly just to to take advantage of that. Yeah. And I gotta think because live live is more of a compromise. Oh sure, yeah. Well, it's so much louder. It's gonna have a little bit more distortion to everything. Yeah, and you've yeah. only got one amp. Well, yeah. me, I've only got one amp on stage, so you know I have to sort of set it somewhere so I can play a solo and a rhythm. Right. But in the studio, you can just totally for the rhythm track, just clean it up and get this cool like natural sound. Right. It's very cool. Good, interesting conversation today about this. Yeah, I yeah. thanks for thanks for taking the time yeah. to talk um, about the making of this record. I know the the fans are going to be interested to hear your answers on on these questions. Yeah, sometimes I get lost in talking, and then I go back and listen. I go, "Oh, should I have said that?" But hopefully, I'm. I, hopefully, I it'll be I okay. I don't think you said where any bodies are buried or anything okay. like that. I think I think I think I think it's good, and all your feelings are understandable about you know certain things about with the solos and all that stuff but you know as imperfect as it is i do think it's a it's a great record and and i i appreciate you guys putting it out and then we if you're interested we'd love to have you back to cover another one of these records because oh, yeah, we, yeah. we love all of them yeah i love talking especially since you live down the street so. yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> yeah it's very convenient you know and hopefully listen to this today will get somebody thinking about this album go you know what i really need to go pick that up you know and go buy it for themselves and and enjoy it if you've never heard it before you know oh, that's, yeah, that's what these are all about yeah and we always tell people you know that we, i know we're in a streaming world and, and youtube and everything but we always push like if we have somebody on and we turned you on to this record you know go out and buy the physical product because it's the best way to support the artist right. you know streaming gives them really nothing so you know actually and what's better than holding it in your hands you know so yeah. it's better that way yeah i agree 
I agree. What's yeah. better than having giant CD racks take up almost an entire room of your house? <laughs> Nothing. Well, I remember back in the old days when, when vinyl was before CDs. Yeah. You know, and you'd go to somebody's house that was a real collector, and it would be a room like this with just vinyl from right. the floor to ceiling. Yeah. yeah. I'm working on that at my house. <laughs> I've still got a lot of vinyl. Yeah. I started collecting Good. again a couple of years ago, and I've I just – Slowly build over time. Well, I, I kept all mine, but it, um, when I moved from Maryland to, to Los Angeles, I had so much vinyl that it was like, oh, man, I don't know if I can move all this. And by that point, I had a bunch of CDs. So I took everything that I had on CD that was doubled on vinyl. I packed up the vinyl version and mm-hmm. put it in my mother's attic. So like two months ago or a month ago, I was – back up in Maryland and I went by my mother's house and I went up in their attic mm. and I thought I wonder if those records are still around And but it was so creepy up there <laughs> I was poking around and I could not find a box with my vinyl in it mm-hmm. and who knows what shape it's in it's been up in an attic all these years yeah. but uh, it'd be cool to find that because I got I still have like half of what I had but right but I did I did find uh, some old Drum heads when I was up in the attic. Oh, really? I used to. I used to, was the one that used to paint the drum heads back in the old days. Oh, really? You could get them printed. Oh, that's <laughs> <Right>. cool. <laughs> nice. That's cool. Well, yeah. Let's have you back again and uh, and cover another record. And, and okay. And we'll either do a fan vote or you can pick. I know you said you're partial to Hotwire. Maybe we can do that one next time. Sure. Yeah, or any. I mean, it, it's kind of cool to sort of randomly let somebody else pick it like that. Yeah, I thought it was just a good interactive way to do it, and you know, we'll we'll throw it out for the masses. And as I as a promoter, I have to mention you're going to be at the Rock and Pod Expo that I'm hosting. Yes. Saturday, August 10th, and um, yeah, if you're a Kicks fan and you want to come out and and meet Brian, he's gonna gonna be there signing autographs and all that good stuff. And it's gonna be a lot of fun interviewing with some of us other knucklehead podcasters, and and there may be a possibility I'll sit in with the rock and roll residency. Yeah, and the resident rock and roll residency is playing the night before on Friday night, and uh, yeah, we'd love to have you get up and, and do a couple like of songs with those guys, because yeah. I think that would be amazing. Well, they have invited me since I've moved here yeah. to come out, but it, every time they play, I'm out of town, so right. I can't do it, so well, I'm, I'm definitely in town that weekend. Nice. So. The awesome. stars have aligned for Rock and Pod 3. And I have plenty of time to learn a song if they throw one at me that I don't know. Okay. <laughs> well, I'll play matchmaker with uh, you and Philip, and we'll get it we'll get yeah. it worked out because nice. I think it'll be fun. But yeah, it's going to be a fun weekend. Of course, go to rockandpod.com, click on ticket and get your ticket. Join us in Nashville. Stay at the hotel. Save a bunch of money because everybody's yeah. going to be hanging out all weekend. And uh, thanks again for doing this, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. This is fun.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points. 